Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. Pac 8, Pac 10, Pac 12. Today's a little nostalgic with Joe Starkey, uh, legendary broadcaster for Cal football on the show, and John Robinson. The former longtime USC coach on the show. We're taking a trip down memory lane a little bit uh, today. I love these kinds of things. But in 1982, uh, one of the most remarkable plays in sports happens. And Joe Starkey, eighth season calling games for Cal, happens to be on the microphone. I've always been curious how Starkey got his start. Uh, you know, this the fact that the, the play happens in year eight. Is that better for Starkey than maybe it happening early in his career? You know, he's prepared for it. But there were four seconds on the clock. Cal was down 20 to 19. Stanford and John Elway had just scored with a field goal to take that 20 to 19 lead. And Joe Starkey, on the ensuing kickoff, gave us history. Harmon will probably try to squib it, and he does. Ball comes loose, and the Bears have to get out of bounds. Along the sideline, another one. They're still in deep trouble at midfield. They tried to do a couple of. The ball is still loose as they get it to Rogers. They give it back now to the 30. They're down to the 20. All the band is out on the field. He's going to go into the end zone. He's got it. He goes. Will it count? The Bears have scored, but the bands are out on the field. There were flags all over the place. Wait and see what happens. We don't know who won the game. There are flags on the field. We have to see whether or not the flags are against Stafford or Cal. The Bears may have made some illegal laterals. It could be that it won't count. The Bears, believe it or not, took it all the way into the end zone. If the penalty is against Stanford, California would win the game. If it is not, the game is over and Stanford is won. We've heard no decision yet. Everybody's milling around on the field. The Bears have won! The Bears have won! Oh, my God! The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, heart-rending, exciting, thrilling finish in the history of college football, California won the big game over Stanford. Oh, excuse me for my voice, but I have never, never seen anything like it in the history of I've ever seen any game in my life. The Bears have won it. There will be no extra points. Look, I grew up in the Bay Area, South Bay Area. My aunt went to Cal in the Joe Cap era, so she knew Cal football. So I was very familiar with Joe Starkey as a broadcaster at Cal and with the 49ers as well. And he's joining us now. He's calling his final big game on Saturday, Stanford Cal. How's it feel, Joe? Like, you know, how does it feel kind of doing all these interviews and, and talking about your career? Um, well, you know, it's, it's kind of a, in many ways, a approach avoidance conflict, you know. I mean, uh, I've had such a great run, and I enjoy every minute of it. And then you got—I understand that this is the last couple of games left, so it's—I'm uh, torn both ways. Right now, I can handle it pretty well. 
I think about next August, I might say, why did I do that? Yeah, yeah. Look, look. Tom Brady did it. He came back. So you never, never close the door. Uh, but l- let's go back to the beginning uh, of your career. Did, did was it broadcasting all the way for you uh, when you were a kid, or when did you find it? Yeah, I'm not even close. I was. Uh, I got an MBA from Loyola in Chicago. I went to work in uh, basically basic industry to start with. And there came a point, though, where I really wanted to get out of Chicago. Um, I was in the National Guard during the infamous 68 riots. Wow. And so I was getting shot at. And it was winter. We had a horrible winter that year. And so it suddenly got into my head that, you know what, maybe I ought to think about going west where I had a chance to visit relatives when I was very young. And so uh, when the opportunity came up, Mattel was looking for corporate recruiters. And I applied, and uh, they came to Chicago to visit me. And believe it, I did the interview for the job with combat fatigues and an M1 rifle. <laughs> they, had, they had to hire you. What were they going to you know, you're, you're holding a <laughs> rifle. <laughs> the, funny thing, the first thing I said was, he said, now why do you want to leave Chicago? I just started laughing. I said, are you kidding? Look at this. <laughs> Look at me, you know. I love it. So, so anyhow, I went to the West Coast, and uh, after a fairly short time, uh, Union Bank approached me and asked if I wanted to work for them uh, as a corporate recruiter and in their industrial relations department. And it sounded like a good job, so I took it, and uh, I was a banker. I, um, in fact, when I actually left the business, I was the vice president of Union Bank, and it had been transferred to the San Francisco office and basically in charge of uh, um, things like training, hiring people, that sort of thing. You end up in broadcasting. Did someone just hear you talking, or was this just something you started as a side hobby, or how did that happen? Well, as a kid, a friend of mine and I, we would sit in front of a television set on the south side of Chicago, and even when we were quite young in the 50s, the Cubs and Sox, televise all their home games. And so you could sit in front of the TV set and pretend to be an announcer, you know, grab a popsicle stick or something, and uh, the two of us would go back and forth and describe the cover Sox game. And so I had that kind of in the back of my mind. Um, I always admired some of the broadcasters involved. Uh, Jack Brickhouse, Jack Quinlan were the key guys for the Cubs when I was a kid. And so uh, when I got out to the West Coast and I was successful in banking, it was still in the back of my head somewhere I ought to take a run with this. And so I started taping games at the Forum for the Lakers and Kings. The ABA existed then in basketball, and I was able to actually sit at the press table and practice into a tape recorder. And when things started getting good enough, um, I started sending out tapes. And in 72, the broadcaster for the California Fields hockey team took the job with the LA Kings, so I knew they needed an announcer. I took my tape recorder to Chicago, Charlie Finley's office. He listened to the tape, and he hired me. That's fantastic. I love Isn't that. that yeah. I love that. It, 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 in your eighth year, you end up in the game with the play that, you know, is the play. And, uh, you know, give us, you know, I've read sort of the narrative of that day. You know, your your son was 15 years old. He was serving as your spotter that day, you know, and, it was it was just an interesting thing, and I think about this. Um, you know, you're in year number eight. Are were you glad that that kind of moment happened? Not in year one, two, or three. That you were seasoned enough in season number eight to to handle a moment like that. Yeah, I really would it would have made a difference uh, 
because I had really no training as a broadcaster, that when I got my first job with the Seals doing their TV and radio in 72, I didn't do any football until I got the Cal job in 75. And the only football I'd had in my life was playing a junior college team, uh, Thornton Junior College on the far south side of Chicago, and that was my entire football knowledge. So I was really a workie in every sense of the word, and I was lucky enough, though, to have a real pro working with me, Monty Stickles, yeah. who had been a tight end with the 49ers at Notre Dame, uh, really helped me a lot in those first uh, couple of years, kind of learn the game. And so um, I had a good, a good beginning from that. Joe Starkey, our guest, uh, longtime broadcaster in the Bay Area, Cal football, uh, 49ers as well, among other things, Winter Olympics. Uh, uh, you know, Joe, let's go back to that 1982 game. John Elway at Stanford, there was a lot of theater. You know, he drives Stanford down. They take the lead 20 to 19. They kick a field goal. Um, at that point, what were you thinking? And kind of take us through it a little bit. Well, realistically, uh, everybody uh, in the in the ballpark, including me, figured that uh, Stanford was going to win the game. I mean, uh, Cal basically uh, has only four seconds on the clock and therefore really has to bring the ball all the way back. I did One of the first things I said as they squibbed the kick is the Bears have to get out of bounds so maybe they could throw a Hail Mary. But throwing a Hail Mary, you know, even then the clock would probably run out on them. They got an enormous break by a mistake by the Stanford coaches. The Stanford coaches were almost evenly divided between stopping the clock at eight seconds or four seconds. If you stop it at eight and they had a timeout left, something goes wrong, you can maybe get a quick timeout and kick it again. If you stop it at four, game's over, no matter what happens. But they didn't, they stopped it at eight, and so there were four seconds left, which gave Cal the opportunity to do what they did. As the moment's unfolding, it's evident that you're reacting in real time, and I think that's what makes the call beautiful. It's authentic. This is not rehearsed. This wasn't Joe Starkey who had practiced a line or two. You were just calling what you saw. As it's unfolding, though, were you uh, were you concerned that you were missing stuff? or Because it was a very unorthodox play with the laterals, and it looked a little bit like you know a rugby game. Well, I wasn't concerned at the time, but I was concerned later. Uh, because after I uh, finally saw a tape of it, in fact, that night we happened to be going to a neighborhood party, and uh, one of the nightly uh, news stations showed the play. And as I watched it, I thought, why didn't I, why didn't I get those names? I didn't mention a single name during the call. And in that era, 1982, there's, uh, ESPN may have just started. There wasn't satellite. There wasn't all the cable shows. There wasn't instant replay stuff where you can slow things down and uh, take a look at all that. So I was very uncomfortable with the fact I didn't name any names. But later, as years went on, a few years later, and I watched it more carefully, I began to realize, well, I should not feel guilty about not naming names because I couldn't see them. There were too many people in the way, too many things going on. It was late afternoon. There's no lights in Berkeley at that time. And so I got comfortable with the call, even though I didn't name anybody. The uh, the attachment that you have to Cal is is interesting and notable, too, because I can feel your enthusiasm for that moment. And you knew by the end of that season that what Cal had been through. You know, they won a couple games to start the year, then it was kind of win one, lose one, alternating. They were really up and down under Joe Cap, but they had some people on that team like Ron Rivera at linebacker, Gail Gilbert at quarterback. Um, you knew what the what that team had been through and what that win meant for them. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt about it. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the players, Gary Plummer, ended up my partner on 49er games for 10 years 
So we had a lot of connections with that squad. But, um, you know, it, in that era, again, the other issue was there weren't many bowl games. If you didn't go to the Rose Bowl, there may have been two or three other opportunities, period, for the entire conference. In fact, Stanford, had they won, had already been told they were going to play, I think, in the Independence Bowl or one of those. Um, and it would be the only bowl game of Elway's career if he won that game. And when he didn't, that meant this great, great quarterback never got a chance to play in a bowl game as good as he was. The uh, the play, as it stands, Cal celebrated it, and Stanford to this day, some Stanford fans are still mad about it. But you have that great moment where you say the most amazing, sensational, dramatic, heart-trending, heart exciting, thrilling. Like, were you just reaching for words there and saying what came to mind, or was that something that you had said as a kid when you were watching games in Chicago? You know, it took me a while, but I, I did eventually realize that I'd used those phrases one other time. It wasn't a setup. I never rehearsed anything because I didn't. I thought they would ruin the momentum of any call I ever made. But uh, by sheer luck, uh, ABC had the rights to the 1980 Olympic Placid, and I worked for ABC in San Francisco, and so they sent me to Lake Placid. So you had the Miracle on Ice call uh, yeah, on for radio. ABC on yeah. radio. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I love yeah. that. Joe, so that was amazing, you know. Joe, you're looking. Yeah, you know, as you're exiting here, you're exiting a conference that has undergone changes from the Pac-8 to the Pac-10 to the Pac-12. Um, I'm nostalgic. I grew up in the Bay Area, as I mentioned. I don't like it. I don't like USC and UCLA leaving. How do you feel? Good idea. Outside of the uh, uh, people running the two schools now, USC because private school. Nobody can do a thing about it. But I know when we played USC a couple of weeks ago, I couldn't find a single fan that I talked to who thought it was a good idea. They liked the idea that they would continue to play West Coast teams and not have all their road games somewhere in the East. Yeah, I, yeah. The, the part of it that bothers me, too, is that, you know, this con the tradition of the conference. Do you think the conference loses tradition? Um, I think so. I think, yeah, I think this is a – I don't see any positives to this at all for the conference in general. In fact, you know, a couple of schools should be real nervous. If you go to Washington State or Oregon State, they don't have a big fan base. They don't have a big population center for uh, television ratings. So what's going to happen? What will happen to the conference in general? What if Oregon gets invited to go somewhere else? What will they do if they think the uh, so-called Pac-10 or maybe down to the Pac-8 by then isn't a logical place to stay? There's a lot of ramifications to this that are not good. Now, you, uh, for over the years, you probably bump into people who say, hey, uh, I was there, or they want to talk to you about the play. Uh, is it true one of the Rolling Stones came up to you and said, hey, uh, you're the guy, like, met you and knew the play? No, there was, a Rolling Stone was involved, but he, he didn't. What, what happened was is that uh, years ago, I guess it was somewhere like about six or seven years after the play, my wife and I had taken our youngest uh, kid to a trip uh, to Greece and Italy, and so we were wrapping up a summer trip and up in Rome, and it was a very hot day in July. And uh, we went to a hotel that overlooks the Vatican, a nice, uh, beautiful hotel called the Cavalieri. And the wife and son, it's about noon, 1 o'clock, and they said they want to go take a nap. I want to go to the pool. So I go down to the pool and grab a book and sit down in a lounge chair. And uh, incredibly, the entire Rolling Stones band, uh, wives and kids, all of them, join me at the pool. And we're like the only ones there. Um, and so who's his sound to me next but to Charlie Watts, the drummer. 
So I start talking to Charlie Watson. They're telling me about the tour and what they're going to do and all that. To this day, I can't believe I didn't ask him for tickets, for God's sake. But I didn't. <laughs> and, and so uh, we sat down, and he said, you know, mate, why don't we go in the pool and cool off? So we go to the pool, and we uh, stand in the shallow end. And who joins us? But believe it or not, Lou Ferrigno, who was a star at that time of the Incredible Hulk TV show. And so he's in the pool. I'm in the middle between these guys, and a guy jumps in from the other end of the pool, and Charlie Watts is convinced the guy wants to take his picture and get an autograph, but he comes up to the three of them and he says, aren't you the guy who called that Cal play? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And the other two are looking around, what the heck is he talking about? <laughs> you talk about, the like, you couldn't make that up. You know what That's I mean? That's right. What a, you got it. What a great moment. Hey, Joe, congratulations on your career. You know, I know you're hearing a lot of that, but... I really hope you soak it in. You gave so many people. I was I was 12 years old when you made that call. You gave oh. you gave so many people in the Bay Area uh, such a special moment, and it was such a special moment in college athletics. Period. End stop. I mean, just congrats to you, and I hope you soak it up here in these last few games, and and keep Tom Brady in mind. You may come back. Oh, there you go. Not a bad plan. <laughs> Thanks very much, Joe Starkey. Thank you. Bye bye. Wow, <laughs> that he's in. Greece in the pool. Oh, here are the Rolling Stones. Oh, hey, Lou Ferrigno's in the pool as well. And uh, who gets recognized? Joe Starkey, because he made the call. Uh, remarkable story, remarkable career. Um, as uh, somebody's got a microphone in front of me, look, I relate to Joe Starkey a little bit. I grew up, I was doing play-by-play -play calls and all that stuff and, you know, calling games and well, pretending I was on the radio and never imagining, and I'm sure lots of people out there went on and did more serious things than I'm doing that that that, uh, that did that as well. But uh, so cool to hear sort of his path, his journey, and uh, all these years later, the guy who was the play-by-play -play announcer of the California Golden Bears since 1975 uh, is hanging it up. He'll have his final big game tomorrow, and uh, look, wouldn't it be uh, wouldn't it be special? to have a uh, Cal kickoff return at the end of the game and have Joe Starkey on the call. Leave it right here. You got the bald-faced truth. We're a little nostalgic today. Uh, statewide. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Love those interviews today. John Robinson was great. Joe Starkey was great. I don't know if you enjoyed them. I enjoyed them. Which interview was better? Steven, Judah, you're not going to hurt their feelings. has more to do with your personal taste. But uh, USC's longtime head coach, John Robinson, joined us at Hour 1. Joe Starkey, just heard from him. Which interview resonated with you more? I like the Starkey one a little bit better. I, I, I just love the stories that he had. Uh, you know, they t the fans want to meet him. Instead of Frigno, like that is great. Uh, him having the rifle, like that's yeah. amazing. Like the the stuff that he's been a part of, and you know, being part of history like that. Like he is part of maybe the most iconic play in college football. I, I just think that's awesome. Yeah, well, I'm always a Joe Starkey guy, so I loved both of them. Don't get me wrong, uh, but Starkey has a special place for me. Guys, uh, am I wrong in thinking that? And I mean this with all due respect to the Pac-12 conference. If that play happens in today's era, do the Pac-12 officials get in the way? <laughs> Am I wrong for thinking that? You're not wrong. I'm not trying to be mean. You're actually right, John. <laughs> I'm not trying to be mean, but I, 
I, I kept, as I'm talking with Starkey, it was all I could do to not be like, aren't you glad you weren't in this era of officiating? Because how fast did it happen? Like, you hear his call, then he's sort of saying the players are milling around, I don't know if it's going to hold up, all this stuff, and then he very quickly says it's going to count, and Cal's going to win, and they're going to win the big game. And I just kept thinking replay would have messed this up. Like, that. Like I'm glad in that era that they just kind of let it go. And the bands on the field, are you kidding me? Well, I mean, how, how it's phenomenal. Uh, you know, correct my memory if I'm wrong, but did they have an illegal lateral in there somewhere, or was it all was it all on the up and up? I, know I think they're... if you ask Stanford, they had a couple, right? Yeah. Two were close, I yeah. think. Uh, Verl Sorogen, who is uh, one of the longtime Pac-12 officials, I've emailed a little bit with him. The Bay Area News Group asked Verl to kind of go back and look at the play from a replay perspective. And, you know, was there, you know, was there a, uh, uh, you know, a play that was, uh, was a, you know, a lateral that shouldn't have been? He was the Pac-12 uh, supervisor of instant replay in 2007. It was the 25th anniversary of the play, so they ha- asked him to review the play. Now he uh, he watched it. He said there was insufficient video evidence to overturn the third lateral, but he believed the fifth lateral was released at the uh, 22-yard line and touched at the 20 and a half-yard line meaning that it was forward by about two yards. He said he would have been tempted to reverse it, then go outside and get in the car with his motor running and get out of there. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I think he would have overturned. That's oh. pretty funny. He can't go fast enough out of that stadium. But, but I, at least he knew. I, he yeah. had to get out of town. I'm glad they didn't have replay. The band's on the field. Like, you know, how do you factor that into it? Stanford's band... Ran out onto the field because, you know, those band kids didn't know. The ball got kicked off. They saw zeros on the clock. They don't know that there's a play going. Those band kids are probably, you know, blowing a point one zero, and you know, while holding the trumpet and thinking the game's <laughs> over. And here comes, you know, Cal playing rugby the other way. Those Stanford kids, not so bright, huh? I'm just saying, you know, I was on the field one time for an Oregon-Stanford game at Stanford Stadium, and the Stanford kids stormed the field. I wasn't afraid. It was a bunch of engineering kids. It was a bunch, you know, I said, you know what? These guys are going to go on. They're going to invent companies, tech companies. They're going to run the world. But I was not afraid of being trampled. Those, they're not like an SEC crowd coming over the rail. But I, thought, I think it's a really cool moment, iconic moment in sports. No offense to John Robinson, who, who I think is a wealth of knowledge. But I, I really liked hearing John Robinson kind of talk about his time at Oregon more than anything. But I think the interview with Starkey, to me, is what I will end up thinking about after today's show. We should do that every show, like uh, give give a winning interview. Which yeah. interview was the best? And then the interviewees try to outdo each other. That would be good. I also then, would, would we feel bad? Like Josh Newman of the Salt Lake Tribune hasn't even been on yet. Oh, no, he doesn't stand a chance. No, offense. He's landed in Oregon. He's landed in Portland. And he is supposed to be uh, joining us, like, you know, when he gets to his hotel, he's driving to his hotel or whatnot. You know, what if he's listening to the show and he's tuned in? Is he going to be insecure about his interview? Put pressure on these guys. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. He should okay. be nervous. And then do, you know, an interview of the week. 
Yeah. The interview okay. of the month, interview right. of the year. What was the interview of the week so far? Who are the candidates this week? And I'll, and I'll name off some of the people we've had on. Mike Parker joined us on the show. Mm. He was really good. We had uh, Kyle Whittingham on the show. Dan Lanning was on the show, Oregon coach. We had Jonathan Smith, the Oregon State coach, on the show. Kelly Graves, the uh, Oregon women's basketball coach, was on the show. Uh, Jack Coletto was on. Bruce Barnum was on the show. Um, you know, so far... Josh Furlong was on yesterday's show. Who's your pick for interview of the week right now with, with only Josh Newman of the Salt Lake Tribune remaining on the docket? Ooh, uh, it's tough. It's down to two. Uh, I don't know. Actually, I'm going to think about it now. Starkey was really good. Um, there's Okay, so there's three that I like. Starkey would okay. be one of them. I really enjoyed Kelly Graves' interview. I thought he was awesome. Uh, very entertaining. Always oh, good. Yeah. Didn't take himself too seriously, which is what I really loved. Called out UCLA for not caring about the students. I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, and then Mike Parker is always really good. So I think it's down to those three for me. I'd probably go Starkey. Number one was Starkey for me. And then I have a few moments. Like, I laughed out loud when you and Landing were talking about Thanksgiving plans and uh, and, <laughs> and coffee habits. Those, that was a great moment. And then Whittingham, when you gave Whittingham the chance to ask you a question, yeah. he's like, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> that was pretty <laughs> funny. But Mike Parker said some things about the Pac-12 that I had been feeling, and I didn't have words for him. And then when Mike got on and, and you know did his, uh, did his rant, I was like, yes, that's what I was feeling this whole time. So I thought Mike was awesome. He was number two for me and Joe Starkey, number one. And number three was Graves. I agree. Graves was awesome this week. Yeah, Parker, I, Parker yeah. said the Pac-12 is too good. Yeah, I'm dude, like <laughs> they're too good to be, uh, you know, to be recognized. Call me a homer, I guess, but seriously, there's something to that. Just because one team goes undefeated in a conference doesn't make that conference awesome. I agree. Look at uh, Clemson and the ACC. Exactly. Like, I mean, what uh, are we doing? 100%. There's a whole bunch of instances of programs that are great or viewed as great, and then you look at sort of the rest of the conference, and it's not very good. The top half of the Pac-12 is really good this year. Six ranked teams right now in the in the college football playoff poll. Like, if Oregon State can win at Arizona State this week, the conference is going to finish the regular season with six teams sitting in the top 25. That is that is terrific. Half the conference ranked is terrific. Problem's going to be the narrative's going to be, hey, they don't have a they don't have a great team this year. And you know, I think UCLA is going to beat USC. I think that will be the narrative. And you know, maybe that's your peeve. On that note, what is your peeve? What do you need to we interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry Truth. to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.